This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. We're so glad that you're with us. And we are so excited that we have Kim Painter with us. She is an accounting partner and CPA with Barnes, Brock, Cornwell, and Painter. And we are answering a lot of questions today on what is your best business structure? Should you do a C-Corp, an S-Corp? What's deductible? What's not? Should I do mileage versus actual? What's the best software? So we are super excited that you're here. We would love for you to type your questions in the chat. And Kim, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here today. All right. So let's talk about what is the different things like C-Corp, S-Corp, LLC. If someone is a real estate agent, what do you recommend and why? That's a question I get very often, um, and I just want to kind of briefly tell you about the structures, but I just to answer that question, S-Corp is what I always tell my real estate agents to set up their um, businesses as. The LLC and S-Corp are both corporate structures that are separating yourself as a business structure away from being like a sole proprietor. Um, both of them have the what they call the veil of protection for liability for someone to sue you personally. So you have that protection, but for an S corp, you're not subject to self-employment tax, but an LLC you are. So when I usually talk to people about this, just to give really broad numbers, if you're an S corp um, on average, just say you're in the 15% federal tax bracket and Virginia is about 6%, uh, 5.75 or 6%. That's a total of, you know, just say 20, just say 20% to round. Um, and then if you have self-employment tax, that's another 15%. So you're paying 15% additional taxes to be an LLC versus an S corporation. So it's definitely better to um, do the S corporation. And I there's a lot of things I could talk about because people say, well, they tell me I have to be a salaried and things like that. So we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But the, the structure itself would be an S corporation would be my recommendation. OK, so let's talk about that. If you want to be an S corp, let's talk about the salary that you have to give yourself and how you have to place uh, employment taxes for that. OK, so to. What the IRS says, the IRS regulations say that you have to have a, any business has to have a, the owner has to have a reasonable salary based on their income. Um, and so what I do is I always keep up with the court cases that are, this is going to court with to see kind of what numbers that they're using to determine what is reasonable, because reasonable is a very broad word. So there is no, you know, there isn't a steadfast, this is what the dollar amount is. This is, you know, what it is that you have to have a salary for. Reasonable, you just have to go back to court cases and see who actually has gone to court and what they've made them do. So the the court case that I kind of have kept up with, the last one that's the, you know, the most recent one, um, it was a professional um, doctor that had no salary um, his net income was about $300,000 and they wanted him to do a $50,000 salary. 
So what I tell, especially my real estate agents, um, your net, I don't, I don't really do a salary for anyone if their net is under a hundred thousand dollars and that's your gross 1099 minus all your business expenses to come up with your net number. Um, because when you do salary, um, it's, you have to pay all the employment tax, which is the, the 15% I just talked about that you're not paying as the LLC, but you don't have to do a salary for the full amount of your net. So people kind of get confused about that. Um, so what I tell people, we can just do a reasonable salary, like 10,000 or 15,000 or something like that, just to pay into the government. So the one downfall that I, I need to make you aware of is when you're not paying either salary or LLC, you're not paying social security, that will affect your um, earnings down the road when you have when you want to go collect Social Security uh, when you're of age, you know, in your 60s that you want to collect. If you have a W-2, all that wages goes to towards what you're going to get from Social Security. If you're a 1099 and an S-Corp and you're not paying into Social Security, you'll have you probably will have years that you're not paying anything. So that could affect what you're getting down the road. Um, some people tell me it doesn't matter. I don't think it's going to be there when I get to that age. Yeah, I hear all kinds of things that people tell me. Some people say, I just want to start my business now. And as I make more money, I'll do payroll then. Um, so, I, you know, it, it kind of is, is all over the board. But I would recommend at least starting out that you would go a couple of years and not have to do payroll just to save yourself some money and get going. And then, you know, talk about payroll, maybe like in your third year. So I want <clears throat> to recap a little bit so people really understand. So. S Corp, you only pay regular income taxes and no self-employment taxes on your distribution. So the current self-employment tax rate is like 15.3%. Therefore, if you have an S Corp, your income is not subject to that self-employment tax. So basically by doing an S Corp, you're saving that 15.3%. Is that what I heard you say? That's exactly correct. Okay. So that's a really big reason of why you should be an escort. Then you also said, you said, if you're not making, let's, let's pretend an agent is making, you had talked about the $100,000 mark. Let's say that an, an agent is bringing in approximately $50,000 a year. Let's just say they're brand new. They're only making $50,000 total amount of money for that year. Are you still suggesting that they do an S-Corp? Why or why not? Yes. Anytime you have any net income, if you don't do any type of corporate structure, you are considered a sole proprietor. When you're a sole proprietor, you're paying federal, state, and the Social Security, Medicare, or the self-employment tax. So anytime I tell people, anytime you, you, your net's over, you know, $1,000, you want to set up the corporate structure. The only um, thing you have to think about when you, once you do that corporation, the S Corp or the LLC, if you decide to go that route, there is a separate tax return you have to file. So you do have two tax returns that are filing. So that could create an additional cost to you to get two tax returns done. But overall, it's still going to save you money um, with what you're, you would have to pay in the self-employment tax to pay a little more to have income taxes done. And then you'll have an annual fee to keep your corporation or LLC open every year that you have to pay to the state corporation commission. That's anywhere between 50 to a hundred dollars um, to keep it active every year. 
So is there any reason why an agent would want, as far as their best business structure for a real estate agent, is there ever a time where someone you would say they should do an LLC instead of an S-corp that you can think of off the top of your head? I don't have any, no, honestly, no. The only, the LLC structure is really, the benefit of the LLC structure is for real estate um, holdings, not real estate agents. So if you own real estate, most rental properties are set up in an LLC. Um, That is the biggest benefit to an LLC is to use for rental properties or second homes or things like that. But because you don't have the self-employment tax because that's passive income. Um, But for a um, agent, no. The only thing I could think of off the top of my head is maybe if you have two people, I mean, that would be the, the reason to set up an LLC. Maybe you have two people that are working together that somehow are splitting you know, expenses and they want to do an LLC um, for some kind of legal purposes or something. So explain if you do have a rental property, why is it important to put it in an LLC? The... It's really not a tax situation because an LLC as a rental property is still shown on the Schedule E for your personal return. The The main reason you want to set it up is for um, insurance purposes to protect you from liability. So w- when you have a rental home, you are always have that issue that someone can get hurt on that property and they could come back and sue you if you didn't have it in some type of a structure. If it's in just your personal name, Someone falls down the stairs. Um, if you if they get hurt, they slip. They you know anything can happen on a rental property, and they can all they're always going to try to come back against the homeowner as the person that's liable because they'll say you know it wasn't set up properly or something. Um, especially if you have a pool or any type of structure like that that is you know high liability. Um, definitely, you want to do the LLC. So it's mainly just for liability purposes to protect you and your assets. So let's say that somebody, one of our questions that people are typing in the chat, Michelle asked, is it difficult to switch from an LLC to an escort? Because lots of people have gotten bad advice and they've said, oh yeah, get an LLC. And you know, people that got terrible advice if they want to switch from an LLC to an S-Corp, when should they do it, first of all? And how hard is it to switch? It's not hard at all. And you don't really change your name or anything. Um, you still keep your name as, you know, whatever with LLC at the end of it. And you can do that um, right away when you start the business or at the latest time you want to do it is when you file your tax return for the company. Um, and the only two, you have to do two forms to do that change. Um, and they're just with the IRS. So basically you're changing your classification with the IRS is how you want to be taxed. So you can keep your structure as LLC, but you can be taxed as an S corporation. And all you have to do is file it's form 8832, which is change in classification. And that changes you from an S um, LLC to an S corporation. And then there's another form called um, 2553. And that's the actual S election to be taxed as an S corporation. So those two forms are the only things you need to send in Um, as soon as possible. You should send them in, but at the latest, you can send them with the return when you file your first return. Or if you've been operating as an LLC for years, you can still change to an S corporation, but it would be, you know, as of the year that you're going to do that at that time. So you can make that change anytime, um, not just when you get started. 
Do you think that they should wait to transition that on January 1st? Like, for example, right now we're already in September. So just saying, you know what, because otherwise they're going to have to file part of their year as an S Corp and part of their year as an LLC. Would it make more sense to just say, look, just make it effective January 1st. You already are an LLC, put everything as an LLC. Otherwise it gets messy with taxes. I would say the only reason I would wait is if you don't have much income from now till the end of the year, that would make a difference for taxes. So if you just say right now, your income's 50,000 as of this point in time, and then you project it to be another 25,000, it is worth it to still change because that at that point, you're still going to have saving taxes uh, as long as you're going to have income. If you're not going to have any more income, then there's w- really wouldn't be any sense to change. But if you have any income between now and the end of the year, I would definitely go ahead and change. You can actually make that election to change it back to the beginning of the year. Um, so is that as of today, if I decided, hey, I realized I set up the wrong the wrong structure, I want to be an S corporation. There are it's called a late election. You can file a late election to be changed to an S corporation, um, and I'm not 100, percent but I think it's 24 months after you make that decision, you can go back. So if I wanted to make that change today, I can actually backdate that to January this year and do a late S election. Um, so I would say it, it, you wouldn't have two returns at that time. You would just have the one and you can backdate it. So another question is what is the major difference between an S corp and a C corp? A C corp is where you, the company itself pays the taxes and an S corp is where the person, people or person that own that pay the taxes. So as an S corp, what happens, a tax return is filed with all the income and expenses for the corporation. And then the owner or owners get what's called a K-1 form. And then they file that with their personal taxes at the end of the year. <coughs> Excuse me. So they that net income number, um, just for instance, say your gross is 100 and you have 50 in expenditures and your net's 50. So, and I'm a one person S corporation, I would get a K-1 that says my income from this corp, this S corporation is 50,000. That 50,000 then goes on to my personal income tax return and I pay taxes individually based on my income tax rate individually. So if I have, you know, um, a spouse and they work in W-2s and rentals, all that just gets, gets added to all of your income and shown on your personal return. A C corporation the corporation itself pays the tax based on the income. So say that same scenario, I have 100,000 gross, 50,000 net. The corporation pays the tax on the 50,000. But for me to get money out of that company, I would have to take a W-2 to get it out. And then I pay all those extra taxes. And a lot of people say, you'll, you'll hear a lot that say, say C corporations are double taxation because the corporation actually pays taxes. And then the uh, person or people that own it want to take the money out, they have to pay taxes because they have to take it out in payroll or they'd have to take dividends. So they're basically taxed twice, corporate level and individually. Um, and then like the S corporation, you're just taxed on your rate based on whatever your entire tax rate is. And now a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Kanzel Realty. One of the other things we give you is revenue share, where you get five levels of money in your downline 
every time you attract an agent to the company. And guess what? The first three levels open up right away. So let's pretend like you're not a great recruiter, but you bring on a couple people who are heavy hitters. Guess what? You don't have to hire five or 10 agents to open up those tiers. You automatically get those. So that's what makes us very different. This is Kanzel. So originally when I started in real estate, I always have had an S corp. And just so you know, we had to be, we had to change to be a C corp because the only way for our company to go public is to be a C corp. So our company is a C corp because it's the only way for us to go public. So we actually had to change from an S corp to a C corp. Another question is on the topic of buying investment properties with others. Can you explain when it might be appropriate to have a LLC structure versus have an LLP structure versus an LLC in Virginia? Um, the LLC, and this is this would be a lawyer probably question more than me. Um, limited liability partnership. I that would. To me, they're both taxed the same. Um, so I would probably refer that question to an attorney of what, why the different structures, because as far as income taxes, what I do, LLC and LLP are still taxed at the same as a partnership. So the like just to say the rental property, if you're a single person that owns rental property, and I said just put it in an LLC, you can have multiple owners of an LLC or an LLP, and it's the same thing that you're still protected, but then you're going to file a separate income tax return if you have multiple members because they each have to get a K-1 for that. Um, they're part of the ownership of that company, and then that goes on their individual return. Yeah, so let me explain that for those of you who have never even heard of an LLP. An LLC offers personal liability protection from any debts or lawsuits filed against the business and for all the individual members. So for example, if you had an LLP, as in Paul, the partners aren't personally liable, but only for their own negligence. So for example, if you were in a partnership with me, Susie, and Pat, and one partner was just a wackadoodle and you're like, I don't want to be responsible for him. If he does something wrong, maybe we should go into an LLP. Um, but I personally think that an LLC would be better. But again, you would need to talk with an attorney. But in my opinion, if you're going into business with someone that you think is kind of a, you know, a ticking time bomb and you don't, you're like, I don't want to take responsibility for the things that he does. You might want to just rethink going into business with them anyway. Um, okay, perfect. Um, let's talk a little bit about tax savings. Um, so we're all trying to save money on, on taxes. Give us some items that maybe people don't think about that would be deductible for real estate agents and they're just not even using those? Sure. Um, a lot of people pay things personally that they may not realize that they can take as a business deduction. Um, of course, any direct expenses that you pay, you know, like dues and education, 
gifts, uh, you know, things like that, you know, you're paying out of pocket are all deductible. Um, the things you may not think about or want, don't understand completely is, um, your like home office. So home office deduction is a great deduction for real estate agents because you don't really have an office that you work in. So you're allowed to take the home office deduction. And in that point, when you do that, you have to figure out what percentage of your home that you're going to use as your office. And that would be as a percentage. So usually square footage is the easiest way to figure that out. So the room you're using versus the um, entire um, square foot of your home. And then what you can do is take um, a percentage of all your expenses, your utilities, um, at that percentage and write that off as a home office deduction. You can also take 100% of your internet for home office and 100% of your cell phone for home for um, as a deduction. Um, at some point, people used to think, well, I had to take only 50% because it's still personal use. The IRS changed that for both internet and phone to make it 100% deductible, even though you use it some for personal um, I also get the question, well, we have a family plan on our cell phone that we pay like $150 and then each phone's $30 on my plan. So what I tell people at that point, they, the real estate agent should have the main part of the plan and have it structured like the, the agent has the, the plan. And then you can add your kids or whoever else you add on to it. Then you would take the full base amount, like the 150, and then the $30 for your cell phone. And that would be the monthly deduction you get for cell phone. Um, the other thing people, a big, big deduction for agents is mileage, business mileage. So the um, easiest way I tell people to do this, um, and I've been through several audits with the IRS with mileage and, and um, not agents, but other people. So I kind of know what they look for. They want, um, I always tell people, try to write your mileage down. Some agents have like apps that are great that have exactly what they go, you know, but some people are like, that's just too much. I can't remember. Um, so what, if you can write down your mileage on January 1st and December 31st, so you know exactly how many total miles you went during the year. And if you forget to do that, maybe you had your inspection or something or a car repair, something that would show the mileage you know, close to a year's worth of time. And then you can, basically you can estimate your business miles if you want. Um, but what, if you do get audited for business miles, the IRS wants to see basically like a calendar or something showing your appointments and possible miles for each appointment. So if you don't want to do an app or something to get actual mileage, you can use an estimate based on percentage of business use. Some people have one car, then they just say, this is my 100% business use car. And I we use our other car for personal. Um, so whatever is easier for you to track that. Um, but mileage is usually higher. So you get either the higher of actual or mileage, uh, whichever is higher. Um, and if you do actual, you would add gas, uh, repairs, insurance, uh, you know, any type of... Um, car payment, but it would only be the the car itself. You would take the interest in that and then you would depreciate the vehicle itself. Um, but I've never in my all these years of doing this over 30 years, I think I've had one person that's actually actual benefited them. Uh, mileage is usually always higher. Real quick, back to the taxes, could you repeat the forms that someone would do as if they would need to do for an S-Corp or if they would need for an LLC? What are the forms they need? 
to change from an LLC to an S corporation, you're, the forms are 8832, and these are IRS forms, form 8832 and form 2553. Now, let's talk a little bit about, let's say that somebody is deciding whether they want to purchase their car or lease their car. I think everyone kind of has different thoughts on that. Is there a difference on if they want to expense the vehicle, what do you prefer, purchasing or leasing? So once you decide to do whichever way you go, whether it's actual or mileage, you have to stay with that for pretty much your business. So if you decide to go actual, then um, there is one big benefit for vehicles is a, um, if you buy a vehicle over 6,000 pounds, it's a bigger SUV, like, um, Tahoe Suburban, uh, time to think of there's, is the gross vehicle weight over 6,000 pounds. You get the write off of pretty much that entire vehicle the first year you buy it. So that vehicle would be written off hundred percent. And then you also get all the actual expenses for the vehicle, but once you do that, the next year you have to take actual. So it's gas, you know, all the things I just said earlier, insurance, um, you know, all the repairs and things like that. So you're going to have lower deductions in future years, probably, than mileage. So you have to weigh your options. Is it worth it to get that big deduction right off the bat? Now, if you lease a vehicle, um, if you lease to own, you can consider it your vehicle if there's like a bargain purchase option at the end that you can buy it for you know a cheap amount of money. Um, but if you're actually just doing a straight lease, then you would take the um, you could do the same. It's either mileage or actual, but then you would take the entire lease payment as your actual amount as the deduction for the actual expenditures. Yeah, and that section one seventy nine where you can get so much money back on that vehicle. I guess people now are thinking, okay, well, with the price of gas, right? Like, yeah, I'm getting great tax deduction, but that's also costing me a lot more money in gas. So it's kind of weighing that option as well. And the mileage rate changes every year. So just it's, it's been running in the last several years, anywhere between 55 cents to maybe 59 cents a mile. So if just say you went 10,000 miles, you're going to get, you know, at least 55, any, anywhere between 55 to, you know, up to $6,000 of a write-off just on 10,000. And most of my agents go, you know, way over 10,000. So just say you went 20, you're going to get, you know, $20,000. Um, I mean, at least like, you know, $12,000 of a write-off, which is going to be pro- way, usually more than what you're actually spending on actual expenditures. Another question is, do you have to pay cash to deduct that vehicle on year one? No, you can get a loan for the whole car. Perfect. Let's talk a little bit about for someone kind of keeping track of all of these expenses, if they wanted to do it, what are your favorite software for people to do? Um, A lot of my clients use QuickBooks. It's very easy um, to use. And some people just, you you don't even need to put the income in there because you'll get your income on the 1099 at the end of the year, just put your expenditures in there. Um, I know there's a lot of apps. A lot of people just will print a report and send it to me. And I'm, I should ask more about what, what they're using to be able to recommend different softwares. Um, 
some people even use like a Quicken, which is what was before QuickBooks was out there, just to keep like a check register to to itemize your expenditures. And that's all you're all you want is a software that can itemize what you're spending based on the category you're spending it for. Yes. Let's talk about contract labor and 1099. You know, one of the things we're constantly trying to teach our agents is, you know, they're, they get in this mindset of just like, I'm just going to do more stuff myself instead of delegating things out. And, you know, I'm going to write a book called how to delegate everything but sex. And that's going to be coming out in the next year or so after I get all my content in, because I love to delegate everything out. And I think hiring contract labor 1099s to help you with all of this stuff is the best way to go. Give us some tips on kind of the best way to handle contractors for 1099s and making sure that you're able to write that off and just any other tips in general for them to kind of keep everything separate of what they need to do. Yep. So if you have someone that's helping you out, um, doing maybe administrative, um, helping you, whatever they're doing for you in your um, in your business, if you pay them in a calendar year over six hundred dollars, you you have to give them a ten ninety nine. If you pay them five hundred ninety nine dollars, you can write that off as a deduction as contract labor and not give them a ten ninety nine. Once it hits $600 or more, you have to issue them a 1099. Then they are going to be paying all those taxes that we talked about at the beginning. They're going to pay the self-employment, the federal and state um, taxes and all for helping you out. Um, So you want to make sure that they're aware of that, that they're going to get that. But it's definitely going to help your taxes because you get that write-off. A lot of people are like, I don't want to give them a 1099, so I'm not going to worry about deducting that well. If you are paying someone to help you, that's fine. If you don't write it off, you're basically paying their taxes for them because you're taking that write-off that you could have taken and not deducting it. And so you're going to be paying more income tax and that person's not going to be paying any tax. So that's not really a smart business move to make sure um, you know, that you're getting the best tax deductions. Plus, you want to make sure you really know what you spend on your business is, you know, are you spending too much money, are you still making a profit? Um, When you don't write off certain things that you're spending, then you really don't know what your bottom line of your business is. Um, And as far as other deductions, I I did, I made a list of some things I just wanted to make sure I come. So, um, and I'm just going to read them off. Some of these already talked about. So internet, cell phone, business miles, dues, education, business meals. um, That's a great deduction. So make sure you take meals when you go with clients. Um, What you need to do on the receipt for business meals is write on the receipt who you went to lunch with and what you talked about. That's all that would um, substantiate an audit. So make sure you keep up with that. Um, Office supplies, people don't think too much about that. Like if you have a home office and you buy a printer or computer, the paper, the ink, everything that you're using for those um, electronics file cabinet, you know, all those are deductible for your business. So anything you're using at your home, a desk, chair, you know, things like that for your home office are all deductible. Um, Postage, advertising, we talked about contract labor, um, insurance. I would recommend, and I don't know if Chantel tells your, your agents to get an umbrella insurance policy to cover anything that may come back on you for any reason whatsoever. They're not very expensive, a couple hundred dollars a year for like a million dollar policy. 
Um, I do try to recommend that to people. Um, professional fees, home office, gifts, um, and then any other expenses. So I covered most of those items earlier. I love that. And if you are not, someone just typed in the chat, it's very good that you have to have one credit card exclusively for business expenses. And then you can have those credit card statements can automatically be downloaded directly to QuickBooks or Excel, which is really, really important. And buying leads, you know, to me is one of the best ways for you to have a write-off because talk about a win-win you're getting that tax deduction and like we talked about with with Canzel you have that platform it's KV Core you have those leads that you're getting you're getting it as a tax deduction you are cuckoo for cocoa puffs if you are not buying those leads and the best way to do it is they do something where they boost your uh listings and that are those are really, really phenomenal leads. So I want to encourage you on this call. You should be spending some money on leads. I'm going to be, if you're listening to this call, you should look in the show notes for the podcast. We are going to be having, we have this great system that we just put together that gave you free leads. It's got about 20 different places where you can get free leads from. And it is amazing. And you'll just go in and sign up for each of those free leads. But I think I want to encourage all of you guys also listening, stop being cheap is what I want to say right now. And I'm going to get fired up because I am so tired of you agents being so darn cheap. Pour back into your business. That is what I have to say to you today. Everyone everyone at our office today is like, Chantel is fired up. I get like this every once in a while where I'm just like fired up. I'm fired up today. Pour, this is a business. Put marketing back into yourself. Put leads back into yourself and stop being cheap. Any other advice? And guess what? You can use it all as a tax write-off, right? So it's win-win. Yes. Kim, what final things do you have to say today? I would just make sure if you're a new business, you start yourself off the best way you can from the start to, I always tell people, you don't want to pay the government. You want to pay yourself. So set up your structure of your company the best way you can to make sure you're putting the most money in your pocket than you're giving to the government because you're working hard. So make sure you're doing what you can to keep that money. And so to help yourself, your family, everyone else um, and pay the government what you need to, but not more you know, than you need to. So just make sure your structure is set up correctly at the beginning and you understand the different rules and regulations so you know what's the best for you. And make sure you get all your tax deductions. That's very important. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today, Kim. Glad to be here. Yes, we are so glad you're with us. That was so much great information. So you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up soon. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.